And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. We return to our studies in the New Testament book of Romans. Today, we see the scripture on propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath, and the establishment of the believer's relationship with God. Such a beautiful truth. And now with his message for today, Pastor Robert Elliott. First John 2, 2. And he himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for those of the whole world. Yes, we're talking here about God's wrath being satisfied by the death of his son, the shedding of his son's innocent blood. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews 2.17 also speaks to propitiation. Hebrews 2.17, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, the humanity of Christ. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that, why, result, purpose, he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, Watch it. To make a propitiation for the sins of the people. God the Son, uncreated, co-eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, had no body until the incarnation, had no blood until the incarnation. But he was sent with the shadow of the cross coming across the manger where they laid him as a newborn baby. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Christ is our propitiation because he gave his blood and it satisfied God's righteous wrath. Additionally, God's son's blood removes our sins. It washes us clean, making unbroken relationship with holy God possible for those believing wretches who have found meaning and identity and forgiveness in Christ. And so propitiation is about satisfying holy God's wrath and restoring a good relationship between us and holy God. Can you imagine that if you were a woman, married woman, and your husband traveled frequently on business by airplane? Can you imagine that if that airplane crashed due to airline negligence in Atlanta, and all on board that flight were killed, including this lady's husband. Can you imagine the litigation that would take place by all the families who were families of the loved ones who were killed in that plane crash which was proven by study to be due to the negligence of the airline. Can you imagine the lawsuits? And can you imagine that as the class action suit against the airline was won in a court of law and financial restitution was paid to each family member whose loved one was killed in that particular crash, can you imagine that compensation 
would be just, but it would not restore relationship. I'll just pick an airline. This is hypothetical. Let's say it was Air Canada. And that woman's husband was killed on an Air Canada flight that crashed in Atlanta. And they gave her $5 million to compensate her for the loss of her husband due to their negligence. Do you think she's ever going to fly Air Canada even though she was given $5 million? Do you think she will recommend to any of her friends to fly Air Canada even though she was granted $5 million? You see... The propitiation of Jesus' blood was not just satisfaction of God's wrath. It was also an equally uh, establishment of a loving relationship between rebel sinners like us and holy God. And because Christ is our propitiation, the satisfactory payment for our sins, not only do we know the justification of God, God's work of declaring us righteous based on the finished work of his son, although we are guilty, but also we have a relationship and we want to tell others about this Savior. We have not only been forgiven, we are vocal about endorsing Jesus Christ and what he can do for a person. I trust you're still letting down your nets for a catch. Look at verse 25, would you? Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Christ made propitiation so that God's justice would be demonstrated. God's perfectly just, of course, and he cannot and he will not wink at sin. God does not overlook our little sins and provided we haven't done anything Terrible, let us into heaven. That would be unjust. And equally, God doesn't weigh all of our good works on one side of a scale and all of our bad works on the other side of that scale. It isn't our, that our good works could outweigh our bad and then we'd be okay. That too would be unjust. And furthermore, God doesn't line up all the people who've ever lived on earth from the best to the worst and then divide by two. God doesn't do anything of the sort. He doesn't grade on the curve. People won't make some kind of midpoint cut when it comes to being sinners and get heaven by sinning less than the average human. That would be unjust. No, verse 23 is plain, and we know and love it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Some people point to the general current lack of judgment for sin to suggest that really sin isn't so bad. To this error, we say sin was bad enough to put Jesus on the cross with spikes through his hands and through his feet. Verse 25 whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. God's forbearance temporarily leaves sins unpunished. It's like this. It's like the misbehaving boy at Atlantis at the buffet on the Sunday lunch. He's there with his parents. He's 
there with his grandparents. He's there with friends from this church, and he knows that he can misbehave, be rude, be disobedient, because he's not going to get chastised right there at the table. And maybe he won't. Maybe dad will have forbearance. But when the boy gets home, the board of education might be applied to the seed of his understanding. It would be an error for sinners to see the delayed judgment of God for their sin as being God's compromised holiness and that their sin isn't that serious. Friends, one day, all sin will be paid for. It will either be paid for by Christ for the sinner, or it will be paid for by the sinner, him or herself, in an eternity in a literal hell that we preached about not too long ago. All sin will be paid for. Either by Jesus Christ as you trust him, his person and work for your salvation, or by yourself. An eternal conscious tormented separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. All sin will be paid for. All sin is serious. When we leave this building tonight, may we all leave having by faith let Jesus pay for our sins on the cross. And may we all leave the building tonight blessed and vocal about the house called salvation that sits on the foundation of God's righteousness, that has one door into the house, the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that has gospel written all over the house. May we be vocal. As Martin Luther said, I believe, therefore I speak. I'm saved, I might put it, therefore I witness. And now, today's personal God story. I was born March 31st, 1959, to Frederick Pears and Frederica Johnson, and christened Randolph Dwayne Pears. Today, most people know me as just Randy Pears. I lived an introverted life as I grew up, a Catholic in a single-parent home with my mother and younger brother. A sister was born later. Apart from attending school and being forced to attend St. Joseph's Catholic Church, which I hated because the incense just made me sick, life primarily revolved around home, school, and church. I graduated from C.C. Sweeting Senior High School on June 6, 1976, with what they called a proficiency certificate in graphic arts. But I began working at RBC Royal Bank Main Branch on Bay Street on July 26, 1976. I was befriended by a Christian family in my neighborhood, the Scherer family, primarily because of my interest in music. At that time, I played the bass guitar, and I used this as a means of friendship evangelism. All four boys and two girls played a musical instrument. It was a musical family. As a result, I spent a lot of time at their house playing music and table tennis on their back patio. They included me in a musical group which the four boys had formed, and plans were made to perform at a Thursday evening youth meeting. And so, during our practice break on a Wednesday evening before a youth meeting at East Street Gospel Chapel, I was sitting outside on the wall when I was approached by someone who was not supposed to be there, Lance Isaacs. Lance was a young man who was passionate about evangelism and had approached me many times before, but I'd always brushed him off, ridiculed him, and just rudely ignored him. Somehow, he heard that the Shera boys 
were ministering in music at youth group with an unsaved person, me, playing with them. To him, that was a no-no. So he made a special effort to show up and confront me again. God used just one verse of Scripture in Lance's presentation to convict me that evening. John 5.24 Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. So I received God's free gift of salvation, sitting on a wall that evening. And not too long after that, I learned what a challenge being a Christian would be like when my co-workers found out. Some of them gave me two weeks to backslide. In addition to ridicule, one particular co-worker was constantly, literally challenging me to turn the other cheek by physical attacks on me. So my life was quickly was established. It became... 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For this reason I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. That verse was a reassuring verse for me as I faced the many challenges and ridicules of my new Christian walk with the Lord. A few months later, on a cold Sunday November afternoon, I went through the waters of baptism on Montague Beach. It did not take long for me to realize the reality of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Suddenly, this shy introvert did not just have a desire for teaching and preaching God's word, but also administration that did a knack for organizing things and quickly rose up to become a youth leader. I was humbled by the realization that I did not have to serve, but I was gifted and privileged to serve. God graciously unfolded his plans for my life, and the journey has been and continues to be just simply unbelievable. To God be the glory for serving in the many faceted areas that he has allowed me to serve. Didn't know how I was able to, but God provided the enabling. At the outset at East Street Gospel Chapel, I was involved with a group as a pioneer co-church planter in what was formerly Hillside Bible Center over the hill in Blue Hills. is now Blue Hill Gospel Chapel. I learned what bus ministry was all about when I became a bus driver at Blue Hill Gospel Chapel picking up children from the Yellow Elder area on Sunday afternoons for 3 o'clock Sunday school time. Then I became a youth leader, a youth group leader, co-founder and director of the youth group at Blue Hill Gospel Chapel. Not long after that, president, secretary, treasurer, United Brethren Youth Association and the Assemblies of Brethren in the Bahamas. And then we started an Awana ministry at Blue Hill. And not very long into it, I became the commander of the Awana program for Blue Hill and ended up training individuals in our ministry and got calls from other churches, Carmichael Bible, Central uh, Gospel Chapel, and a Baptist church in Stapleton Gardens who wanted to start Awana Ministries also and was able to assist them in starting their programs that are all going on today. We praise God for His glory. And then we had a men's fellowship. I uh, had the opportunity to chair men's fellowship 
at Blue Hill Gospel Chapel. Also, God put his hand on my life in a unique way that I really didn't anticipate. He wanted me to serve full-time in ministry. And uh, as much as I just didn't take it seriously, God used many individuals to assure me that he was serious. And I ended up quitting my job at Royal Bank, resigning, and going into full-time ministry. Immediately, I was made assistant to the United Missions Department of the Assemblies of Brethren, uh, the missions arm of the assemblies, where I assisted them in carrying out their responsibilities. And then Teen Scenes Camp came along. It was a unique opportunity we had as a group of young people spent time on Saturday evenings doing Bible study and studying uh, God's Word and doing park ministries and outreach. The epitome of our ministry came to head when we traveled to Atlanta, Georgia uh, to do ministry. And that was a unique opportunity for us. I became a small group leader at Blue Gospel Chapel in the home groups that were started. And then we decided that we'd want to get into reaching young boys and mentoring young boys. And so we started the Crusaders Boys Club and met with boys on Saturday mornings uh, to engage in study of God's Word and some sporting activities. Primarily, we focus on softball. And then I was asked to serve on the Association of the Assemblies of Brethren, another opportunity that gave me good challenges uh, in serving the Lord. And then a brother in Abaco, uh, David Cartwright, a full-time worker, decided that uh, he was more burdened with his responsibilities and wanted to give up. Uh, the Mayor's Correspondence Bible School Ministry, and I was asked to take it on as Regional Director for the Caribbean. It was a challenge, but it was an enlightening challenge as we got the opportunity to minister to individuals in the prison. Even though I never was able to go into the prison, we were able to send courses, Bible courses, into the prison and had someone study with the men, and I was able to look at their courses and grade their work. It was a unique opportunity. And then I uh, was ordained by my assembly uh, as a full-time worker in the Assemblies of Brethren and found a, a unique opportunity as an itinerant evangelist to travel around the islands ministering God's Word uh, in, among the island assemblies. And then God called again, this time to leave the Bahamas. And our challenge was to go to Jacksonville, Florida as a self-supporting missionary. And we were engaged in Calvary Bible Chapel there and Calvary Mission Incorporated, uh, where we saw a lot of young men come off the streets and were mentored and challenged and changed, all for the glory of God. It was a unique opportunity. And then I, upon my return, I was asked to take on the responsibility of associate pastor at Blue Gospel Chapel with responsibilities for administration, Christian education, and youth. God was able to do all of that. And I'm humbled that he was able to use me in that way. And then we took on, after leaving uh, the Assemblies of Brethren, we went to the Adventure Learning Center, where there was an opening for camp administrator. Uh, the camp took that on and eventually became director at Adventure Learning Center. And uh, God worked in such a tremendous way, it was just unbelievable. After leaving Blue Hill, I joined Calvary Bible Church and uh, became involved in Sunday school and adult Sunday school teaching. Uh, many church leader, Christian ed director, was asked to serve on the association. And then we were introduced to precept ministries. 
and currently serve as one of the leaders of Precept doing Bible studies uh, with those individuals who desire to study God's Word. Uh, was asked to become a deacon at Calvary Bible Church and currently part of a ordination class as a member. And so after 41 years of serving, the journey continues until Jesus calls or until he comes. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 And I pray that God would continue to allow me the privilege and the opportunity to serve Him for His honor and for His glory. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 9 gives rise to the question, Did Jesus descend into hell? The Apostles' Creed affirms that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead and buried, he descended into hell, rose again the third day. Is there biblical support for the familiar but mysterious statement, he descended into hell? It is important to realize that the Apostles' Creed was not written or approved by a single church council at one specific time. It gradually took shape from about A.D. 200 to A.D. 750. The phrase, he descended into hell, was not found in any of the early versions of the creed. Moreover, Rufinus, the only person who includes the phrase before A.D. 650, did not think that it meant that Christ descended into hell. He understood the phrase simply to mean that Christ descended into the grave, that is, he was buried. Later, this phrase was incorporated into versions of the creed that already had the phrase and buried, so some other explanation had to be given. This led to various attempts to explain the phrase in some way that did not contradict Scripture. Some have taken the phrase to mean that Christ suffered in the pains of hell while on the cross. Others have understood it to mean that Christ continued in the state of death until his resurrection. Others have argued that Christ did descend into hell after his death on the cross. Support for Christ's descent into hell has been drawn from Ephesians 4.9, where Paul wrote, Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Paul is saying in this context that Christ, who went up to heaven in his ascension, is the same one who had come down from heaven. Verse 10. That descent from heaven occurred when Christ came to earth and was born as a human. This text refers to the incarnation of Jesus, not to a descent into hell. 
The expression, the lower parts of the earth, is an appositional genitive. This means that the lower parts refer to the earth. For example, the city of Portland refers to the city, which is called Portland. The city and Portland are one and the same. The words of Jesus to the thief on the cross today, you shall be with me in paradise, Luke 23, verse 43, imply that Jesus went immediately into the presence of the Father in heaven after his death. There appears then to be little biblical or historical support for the inclusion of a descent into hell in the Apostles' Creed. It probably would be best to drop this from a creed that is supposed to summarize the basic and the vital tenets of the Christian faith. A Puritan prayer called God the All. O God, whose will conquers all, there is no comfort in anything apart from enjoying Thee and being engaged in Thy service. Thou art all in all, and all enjoyments are what to me Thou makest them, and no more. I am well pleased with thy will, whatever it is, or should be, in all respects. And if thou biddest me decide for myself in any affair, I would choose to refer all to thee, for thou art infinitely wise, and cannot do amiss, as I am in danger of doing. I rejoice to think that all things are at thy disposal, and it delights me to leave them there. Then prayer turns holy into praise, and all I can do is to adore and bless thee. What shall I give thee for all thy benefits? I am in a strait betwixt two, not knowing what to do. I long to make some return, but have nothing to offer, and can only rejoice in that thou dost all, that none in heaven or on earth shares thy honor, I can of myself do nothing to glorify thy blessed name, but I can through grace cheerfully surrender soul and body to thee. I know that thou art the author and finisher of faith, that the whole work of redemption is in thine alone, that every good work or thought found in me is the effect of thy power and grace, that thy sole motive in working in me is to will and to do what is for thy good pleasure. O God, it is amazing that men can talk so much about man's creaturely power and goodness when, if thou didst not hold back every moment, we should be devils incarnate. This, by bitter experience, thou hast taught me concerning myself. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.